you'll take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Do you guys make any New Year's resolutions? Any of you? Good. You got it all together. I like it. Y'all are ready. Okay. Here's the thing. Usually we go through and say, I'm going to do something in 2013 I didn't do in 2012. I hope it's a good thing you're thinking about doing. Uh, or we're going to try to do something better than we did in 2012. And all these things that are very important, uh, we kind of get caught up in the, it's a new calendar, new year, and so we start over. And it's good to know that we start over. The good news is you can start over more than on January the 1st. You don't have to wait another year if you need to start over throughout this year. So I want to talk about that for a minute as we look at from hopeless to hopeful. Have you ever seen anyone, you know, they're, maybe they're your friend or or maybe your spouse sometimes, and they just do stuff that's kind of goofy or they don't think things through and strange stuff happens to them. Accidents always happen to them. If something bad's going to happen, it happens to them. And you kind of say to yourself, they're just hopeless, you know, hopeless. We kind of do that sometimes, and, and yet uh, the truth is sometimes people are hopeless. The good news is you don't have to stay there. I want to talk about someone who went from being hopeless to hopeful, and I want you to see this with me. In 1 Peter chapter 1, bearing in mind that, that hope is not merely wishful thinking. It is a confident expectation that is focused on the person and the promise of Jesus Christ. That's hope because of what it's based on, our living Lord. Now, in understanding that, I want you to look at verse 1. When we read books of the Bible, we usually read through the first couple of sentences and don't pay attention to them because we know what they say pretty much. Or do we? Look, for instance, here's what it says in verse 1, chapter 1. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He has said an amazing thing in that one sentence that we need to understand today. I'm going to be preaching through 1 Peter the next few weeks. So to make sure we understand the impact of the letter, we need to really understand the author, the writer. And I want to do that with you today. Because he is writing this book 33 years after the crucifixion of Christ. And after 33 years, he simply states, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. I think it's pretty incredible. And I want us to do something. I want us to learn some principles that we can learn from the ups and downs of Peter's life because he certainly had them. The first thing I want you to get is this, and I want you to uh, turn to Matthew 16. First, you've got to get this. Failure in our past does not always dismiss purpose in our future. You have got to get that. We are too hung up on beating ourselves up about the past that we never get to where God wants us to be in the present or the future. Failure in our past does not always dismiss purpose in our future. The reason, let me say this, if you have been a person who's come to the, to the understanding you need a Savior in Jesus Christ, you realize He died on the cross for your sins, and you've come with that childlike faith and that heart of repentance to turn to Him, you have been transformed into a follower of Christ. You've been saved, born again, whatever term you like to use. 
And because of that, God has given you a purpose for being here. And every person in this room, whether you're young or old, you have a purpose. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Because you're still here. The day you don't have a purpose, you won't be here. You'll be gone. God don't need you if you don't have a purpose. The reason you're sitting here today, whether you're a teenager, college student, single, married, senior adult, you have a purpose. God is not through with you. There's a reason you're here. And too many times we let our past dominate our future. And we miss what God is trying to do with us. I don't want you to do that in 2013. I want you to get it right. And so we can learn. Here's what we need to know. Let's look at Peter for a minute. Peter's record, we know about Peter, first of all, he, was a, he, was a, he had a business. He was a fisherman. It was his business. It was his career. And he was very good at it. And one day, Jesus said to Peter, I want you to follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. And he left his business behind. I don't know about you, but that's pretty doggone impressive. He left his livelihood, his security. He said, I'm going to follow this guy because something about him has drawn me to him. And I'm going to follow him. He's going to change my life and change my purpose. I'll no longer be a fisherman of the sea, but a fisherman of the kingdom. And so he begins this journey with the Lord. And in the process, you're going to find Matthew says he was kind of, uh, he, he, Matthew kind of elevates him as one of the preeminent, preeminent ones of the disciples. He was kind of the head guy. He, maybe his personality, he was loud, obviously, and would speak his mind. And maybe that's why they said, you, gotta, you, you get to be kind of the leader of the group. We know he was in the inner circle of the three out of the 12. And so he was, he was kind of a special guy. Probably his passion made people draw to him. Uh, but there's a couple of things in his life that are a problem. First of all, we look in Matthew 16, and Jesus, for the first time, has told his disciples, guys, i got to go to the cross and die. I have come to die on a cross. None of them saw that coming. They didn't anticipate he was going to say that. And when he said it out loud, they're all kind of like, whoa, we didn't know about this. But Peter... Peter couldn't contain himself. Here's what he said. Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Meaning, I'm not going to let it happen to you. You're not going to let it happen to you. It ain't going to happen to you. Now, you've got to picture this. Here's Peter, this this passionate, often uh, impulsive guy who always thinks before he thinks, like some of us, and, and he pulls Jesus aside. Now, you imagine, he's pulling Jesus aside. It ain't Matthew or John he's talking to. He's talking to Jesus. And he says, I need to straighten you out on something. I don't know about you, but that, just didn't, that wasn't the smartest thing he did. He said, I'm just going to tell you you're wrong. <laughs> and Jesus looks at him, And says, get away from me, Satan. Now, was Peter Satan? No. Was he being influenced by the thoughts of another world and the powers of darkness? Yes, he was. And Jesus kind of rebuked him. I mean, he got on to it pretty hard. I mean, you know, I don't, you know, get away from me. Hey, get out of my face. I don't know, but if anybody's ever called you Satan, that might be a pretty strong rebuke. I mean, just saying, that might be like, you might want to back off. 
Uh, and so Peter's going, it's kind of stunned him. He, oh, Jesus ain't through yet. No, he ain't through. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things from merely a human point of view and not from God's. That's a strong rebuke. And Peter now is probably feeling guilty and embarrassed a little bit. And he kind of backs away. Okay. Last time I'll say anything. Well, that didn't last long. They're having the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, if you will. In Luke chapter 22, if you'll make your way over there, Luke chapter 22. Jesus is now getting them ready, and things are falling into place, and, and uh, he says something pretty interesting. In verse 31 of Luke chapter 22, he says this, Simon, Simon, which is Peter, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, meaning Satan's going to try to get a hold of all of y'all, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you've repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. you got to see something. He is telling Peter, he said, Peter, the devil is going to eat your lunch. I mean, he's going to kind of play havoc with your life. But I'm praying for you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm with you. And when you get through that, you're going to repent. You're going to get back on track. And I'm going to use you amazingly like you've never imagined. And Peter, again, cannot keep his mouth shut. He says, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you, even to die with you. Man, I'm on your team. I'm with you all the way. You can count on me. These other guys aren't as strong as I am. They're probably not going to see it through, but I'll see it through to the bitter end. Well, <laughs> then Jesus said to Peter, now bear in mind, this conversation is taking place in the upper room. They're all together, Okay. And Peter, let, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. You'll deny that you even know me. Well, I'm sure Peter's going, well, I didn't appreciate that. And he's thinking, but he don't, you don't know what you're talking about. I got this. Well, you know the story. They come and carry Jesus off, and, and he's gone. And, 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 and then uh, uh, further over in the chapter, uh, Peter's kind of following Jesus from a distance, which is always dangerous. Uh, and so he, he follows from afar off, but he's got his eye on Jesus. He can see him. Hadn't lost sight of him, just kind of not close by. And a, a woman says, hey, you're, you're with him. You're one of those guys. Arrest this guy too. And Peter said, I don't know him. No, no, I don't know the man. I don't know the man. See, he's way up there. I'm back here. I don't know him. Uh, and, then, and then some time passes, and uh, someone else said, I think you're with him. And Peter said, I'm not. I don't know the man. And the third time they said, we know you sound like him. You talk like him. He began to curse and say, I don't know the guy. I don't know him. And then something happened. The rooster crows. In verse 61, at that moment, Peter, at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter suddenly. The Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Now, weeping bitterly, we don't probably know how to appreciate that. It's not like, 
oh man, that's kind of bad. And just kind of a little sob and a little sniffle, tears. And no, 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 no. He kind of like cried his guts out. He just began to cry uncontrollably. His heart was broken. For the one he had followed for three and a half years looked him in the eye. I told you so. And Peter failed. There's no way to make it sound better than it is or different than what it was. He failed. Now, before we decide to think that Peter's the worst guy that's ever lived, may I remind you that in our lives there's times we have failed? We didn't mean to, didn't think we would, and all of a sudden we did. Oh, we made a bad decision, got with the wrong crowd, made a bad judgment, uh, got carried away with the things of the world, whatever it may be, and all of a sudden we failed. What do we do with that? Peter did. You see, here's what I want you to know. Failure in our past does not always dismiss purpose in our future. Now, Peter thought it did. Peter thought he was done. As a matter of fact, after the crucifixion, he goes back to fishing. He says, it's over. God's never going to use me. I'm done. I'm toast. I'm thrown away. I want to tell you something. Please hear this. God doesn't throw anybody away. I mean, really. I mean, his grace just too real to do that. write anybody off. His followers, he doesn't throw his followers away. He doesn't throw his children away. And so, uh, what's going to happen is he's humiliated, he's embarrassed, he's got guilt, he's got shame, he's got all these things going on. And yet, the words are there. Peter, you're going to strengthen the brothers one day. Peter struggled with this. And, and so, was it over Peter? No. Because 33 years later, Peter writes this letter. You know why? He's qualified to write this letter because he's been there. You see, he's writing to people that are dealing with Roman persecution under Nero, and they're having to deal with are they going to deny Christ or not? Are they going to stand strong in the midst of testing and persecution? And they're all beginning to waver and wonder. And Peter says, let me tell you what I learned. 33 years later, Peter is strengthening the brethren. Awesome. The good news is that failure does not have to be final. We all fail. It's not the final word on our lives. For if we'll repent and change our attitude, change our direction, get our heart right with God, he puts us back to work. When I was young in the pastor, I didn't understand that as much. I, I really didn't. And people that kind of wouldn't leave, had a commitment I thought they should have or do what they should do, I'd kind of I'd write them off. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. I've learned that as I get older, I'm not old yet, I'm just getting older. I don't need to write anybody off. I don't need to throw anybody away. Because who you are and what you are today doesn't mean that's who you're going to be tomorrow when the grace of God gets off of you. That's, that's what I know. Now, 
Fear, doubt, sin doesn't erase the grace of God that restores the repentant person. God's grace gets us to the finish line. That's what he's telling Peter. Peter, I'm going to get you there. You're going to mess up. Some, and let me tell you what. He, even, here's the thing. The second thing I want you to get is this. A broken heart is great preparation for helping a broken life. Broken heart. Peter's heart was broken. Man, it, it was broken. It was shattered into so many pieces. He, he would go out and, and fish and say it's over and done. And then he didn't even bother to show up for the crucifixion. Then he gets word there's been a resurrection. He didn't know what to do with that. He runs to the tomb. He outruns everybody. He's the first one there. Because for the first time he realized, I may get a second chance. Because he's alive. I may get a second chance. I am so glad that God is not a one-strike God. Or a two-strike God. Amazing God of grace. And so, Peter's still not sure how he stands. And one day, the, he's, he's gone, remember, he's gone back to fishing. Jesus comes by and says, guys, I got some, got some food for you. I've cooked for you. Come on, let's eat together. And this is after the resurrection. They come together, and, and, he's, and he has a conversation with Peter. He said, Peter, we need to talk. We've got some things that have been resolved between us. I'm sure Peter was not yet looking him in the eye. Peter didn't know what to say to him, but he said, okay. He said, Peter, I want to ask you a question. Do you love me? I'm sure the, the answer came out so weak. No, Peter, do you love me? Lord, yeah, I do. Peter, do you even like me? Because what's happened is there's been a change in the Greek language. Peter has responded that I like you. Uh, uh, Jesus said, do you agape me? Do you love me with, with unconditionally, sacrificially? And Peter responds, I, I, I like you. Jesus said, do you love me? I, Peter says, I like you. Phileo, I, I like you. You know why he's doing that? He's messed up. He's afraid to say anything else. And don't get mad at him because of this. Don't judge him. He's a lot like us. He's just kind of afraid. What's he going to do? He's done, he's done boasted and bragged so much and failed so many times. He's now becoming real humble. He's low-key. He's going, man, I, I just like you a lot. And then the third question, Jesus uses the same Greek term Peter did. Do you even like me? Peter? Lord, you know. You know I like He said, then, Peter, go feed my sheep. He said it to him three times. Go feed my sheep. Peter, I, I'm not through with you. I'm not throwing you away. I, I'm not dismissing you from the table. I, I, I want you to know that I need you to get this resolved in your life. Guys, please hear me, whether you're young or old. If you've messed up, if you've done something stupid, if you've been brain dead stupid, deal with it. Come to God and deal with it. Say, Lord, I have messed up. I made such a bad decision. I did such a wrong thing. I, I messed up so bad. God, please forgive me. Wish I'd have never done that. And get it straight. Because none of us have time to waste. 
living in our failure when there's a purpose to be fulfilled. Broken heart is a great preparation for helping broken lives. Peter knew the disappointment and despair that comes from failing. He fell on his face and was trying to stand. He didn't want to fall. It just, it, it did. He knew what it was like also. He felt the sting of failure bad. He felt the pain of failure. But also he felt and knew the forgiveness of Jesus. When Jesus took him aside on the beach and said, Dude, I, I want you to go to work for me. I'm not through with you. And he wasn't. Peter was not perfect after that. He had several attitude adjustments in his life. But after 33 years, he writes a letter saying, This is Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. What are you going to say at the end of 2013? What are you going to say about your life and your relationship to Christ? Number one, do you have a relationship? not, you need to deal with that today. You might even say, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. Can you say that? Or are you still working on trying to figure out how to make that happen? You make that happen by an act of faith. But as a Christian, a follower of Christ, what are you going to say at the end of this year? I failed miserably. I didn't do all I should do. I choked. Or are you going to say, I grew in the Lord this year. Christ made a difference in my life. He taught me some things out of my failure. And out of our, and here, catch this. Peter, out of his broken heart, has a message for broken lives. He knew the restoration to service that Jesus could give. And he's, ta- he's writing these dear people that are on the edge of failure themselves. Life has become hard and unfair and unkind, and he comes with a word of hope because he's been there. So here's what I want you to know. He gives a word. When you have things in your life that have brought tears to your life, they become a testimony for someone else. Whatever the, whatever the cause, whatever it was, might have been what someone did to you or what you just did in stupidity or rebellion. But it becomes a testimony of what God will do in the lives of others. That's what's so amazing about the body of Christ. And the last thing I want you to get is this. Any expression of hope gives more encouragement than countless thoughts never expressed. Did you get that? Any expression of hope gives more encouragement than countless thoughts that you never tell anyone. You know, we go, well, we go by this thought, well, it's the thought that counts. Let me tell you something. That don't work unless you express your thought. And a lot of times the Holy Spirit, as he inspired Peter to write this letter, sometimes he motivates us to share something with someone. And we go, oh, well, I'm thinking about it. And we do think, we'll tell people, I'm thinking about you. Well, what does that mean, I'm thinking about you? I'm thinking good about you, I'm thinking bad about you. What does that mean? I'm thinking I like you, I'm thinking I don't like you. I mean, what does that mean, I'm thinking about you? I'm guilty. I do this. I'm thinking about you. I need to do better now. Well, what does that really mean? How about we say, I want to give you a word of encouragement. God's put you on my heart. I want you to know I'm praying for you. Because I don't know what's going on in life, but I want you to know I'm praying for you. Or I appreciate you. You see, that's what we learn 
from what we go through that other people need words of encouragement just like we did. I've got a buddy of mine, one of my dear friends, is going through a hard time right now. I mean, it's just a crazy time. It's just stupid what's happened. Now, he's one of my minister buddies, and, and, and we may go months and never talk to one another because we don't need to, we don't have to. I mean, you know, everything's good. But all of a sudden, God put him in my heart and I give him a call, and, and man, he tells me what's going on. I'm going, holy cow, that's unbelievable. And, and so now I'm going to call him about every other day because he needs encouragement. There's people around us, whether we work with them, go to school with them, whether they're our boyfriend, girlfriend, our spouse, our children, our parents, that need encouragement. They need a word from you. They're holding on by a thread. And that thread's about to break as far as they can see. And you're the one that comes and adds strength to that thread by what you do. And to sit there and think, well, I'm thinking about you, isn't worth spit. Do you understand that? Don't, don't ever stop doing that. Stop doing that. I'm thinking about you. What do you mean? Yeah. I am praying for you. I want to encourage you that the Lord's going to be with you. I mean, let's come with a word. I mean, let's come with something that's has substance to it. That's what Peter is going to write five chapters of substance to these people that are not sure what the future holds for them. I can't wait to share some of these things with you the next few weeks. We'll have a ball. But I want you today to learn, hey, let's express hope to one another.